May 5th, 2007. Kenya Airways Flight 507, a Boeing 737 with 114 people on board, is taking off from Douala International Airport from Douala, Cameroon, bound for Nairobi, Kenya. The flight is on a stopover after having departed from Abidjan Ivory Coast and has been delayed over an hour as bad weather has been moving through the area. The captain sees a potential break in the weather and decides to begin the four hour long flight just after midnight local time. The plane accelerates, takes to the air, and the pilots begin banking to the right to get around the storms. Only one minute into the flight, the bank angle alert sounds at 2,800 feet as the plane banks past 35 degrees. The pilots fight to level out the aircraft but are unsuccessful. The plane slams into a swamp, killing all on board. What happened to cause Kenya Flight 507 to lose control? Was there a problem with this brand new six-month-old plane? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hi, Gus. And people listening. <laughs> Before we you know, really dive into this, of course, I want to remind everyone to you know, check out social media uh, at Black Box Down Pod, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also want to remind people... RTX is coming up in just a couple of weeks, July 7th to 9th in Austin. Go to rtxaustin.com for more information. It's a big event with a lot of podcasts, comedy, internet content. You should come check it out. We're going to yeah. have a panel there with Black Box Down. And on top of that, of course, Chris and I will be doing other things for other projects we work on as well, if you're familiar with uh, some of the other stuff we do. Yeah, we're going to, we have uh, stuff for Black Box Down. We also have Tales from Sticky Dragon, the other podcasts that me and Gus are doing. We have some live shows from that Dungeons and Daddies, Red Web. RT podcast. If you're a fan of podcasts, or if you just want to like visit Austin, if you've ever been to Austin, Austin's a great city to visit, and this is a good excuse. Yeah. Uh, again, July seventh to 9th, just under two months away. Again, more information at rtxaustin.com. Anyway, that's in the future. We're talking about the past. <laughs> We're talking about Kenya Airways Flight Five Hundred Seven here. This was a, a fairly recent, just a little over sixteen years ago at this point. This flight was captained by Francis Mbatia Wamwea, who was 52 years old, had logged 8,500 hours on jetliners, and had been with the airline for 20 years. So, pretty experienced pilot. Yeah. A little bit of trivia about him. I think in the, was it in the last episode, we talked about someone who had made the transition from being a flight engineer and became a pilot. You know, as, uh-huh. um, you know, like engineers were being phased out in the cockpit. Yeah. This particular pilot, the captain, had been a flight attendant for Kenya Airways. And oh. then went to flight school and became a pilot. So <laughs> uh, someone else who, you know, was around the plane and in the plane working there, you know, in the airline and decided to try to make the jump into the cockpit to actually, well, I guess the navigator was in the cockpit, but to actually manipulate the controls to fly in the plane. Well, I think that's really cool. And I don't know how this episode ends. Hopefully... It worked out well for him? <laughs> well, we'll see. We're, we'll, we got a okay, lot to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, And besides him, of course, the first mm-hmm. officer was Andrew Wanyoik Kiuru. I hope I said that correctly. He uh, was 23 years old, had joined the airline one year before the accident. Kenya Airways is the flag carrier of Kenya, of course. It's headquartered in the Mbakasi neighborhood of Nairobi, and its hub is at Jomo Kenyatta International Airport. It was founded in 1977. And, you know, it's one of those, I feel like lots of countries have like their flag carrier, you know, like the, like the, the, the main one that uh, services that country. And, you know, of course, Kenya Airways is the one for, for Kenya. They had been going through a period of growth around this time. There was quite a bit of growth, helping people commute east to west along, you know, Africa because of businesses that were growing and the airline had invested in some new aircraft. This specific aircraft that was involved in this accident, like I mentioned at the top, was only six months old. And it was one of three 737-800 series models that Kenya Airways had acquired from Singapore Aircraft Leasing Enterprises. So it was a very new plane. That's all that all that to say. The, the airline had been growing and they had just acquired some new planes. This was one of them. Man, I bet they were really upset when it went to the swamp. Well, I mean, yeah, in general, you're going to be any time. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I'm I mean, just like, if you have a brand new plane... For sure. This was one of three scheduled planes that were supposed to depart from Douala Airport around midnight that day. The two other flights were operated by Cameroon Airways and Royal Air Maroc. And the crew of the Cameroonian and Moroccan companies decided to wait more for the weather to improve. While Kenya Airways crew decided to depart because they had already been delayed over an hour. And the pilots were looking at their radar and they felt like they had found a path to like navigate, to weave through the storms and get out of there. So they decided to take advantage of this break and, you know, 
go for it. And you were going to try to like Mm -hmm. vector around uh, weather. 24 seconds after takeoff, while climbing through 1,000 feet, the captain called for the first officer to engage the autopilot. And, you know, the, the captain let go of the control wheel. I want to point out, this was a very quick flight. I think this plane was in the air a total of less than two minutes. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. normally when we, when we do these episodes, you know, we try to spend a bit of time talking about the flight itself and, you know, what was going on and what happened. This flight was so quick, there, there really is no time for that. So we're, we're just going to kind of say exactly what happened here right at the top. Okay. So like I said, 24 seconds after takeoff, they were climbing through 1,000 feet. The captain called for the first officer to engage the autopilot and he let go of the control wheel. However, the autopilot did not engage, nor was the message acknowledged by the first officer. Oh, oh. Yeah, the aircraft then entered into a slow right roll that kept slowly increasing. Oh, so he just started the turn and then just walked away from the wheel or not walked away, but you know what I mean? Well, because remember, like I said, there were some storms in the area they were trying to vector around, and it just so happened their plan was they were going to go to the right to try to get around the storms. He says, you know, engage the autopilot. The first officer doesn't respond, and he let the captain lets go of the control wheel, thinking that the autopilot's engaged. And if he notices the control column banking to the right, he might think, oh, well, you know, we're supposed to be going to the right anyway. This is normal. Mm, but okay, it was not normal. Is it a thing where if you, if you just let go, it's going to start? turning like okay you know in your car if you're if your um uh alignments off and stuff you you let go of the wheel and and your car might start you know turning slightly veering one direction versus when you're in alignment you just let go and it goes straight mm-hmm. i was at work with planes <laughs> it just so happened that this specific so every plane flies a little different and it just so happened that this specific plane had a tendency to roll to the right ever so slightly oh. like if you weren't holding onto the controls like you said mm. your car analogy is perfect it's like you know it's like in your car if you let go of the wheel and it slowly starts you know drifting a little to the right it was like that with this plane so to to maintain wings level when they were flying they would have to give it just a little bit of a turn to the left so when the captain let go that's why it began slowly banking to the right mm. and they didn't notice anything was wrong until the bank angle alert sounded when they were at 2800 feet and that alert sounds when the aircraft begins to bank past 35 degrees. And remember, it was nighttime. It was around midnight. There was a storm, so they couldn't really see outside. There was no, yeah. there were no landmarks. No, there were no lights or anything. So it was just pitch black out the window. So there was no, nothing to orient yourself with. Uh, so it's, it, it, it can hinder your spatial awareness. And we talked about that a lot before, how when you're in a plane, like your equilibrium's all messed up. You may right. think up is up and down is down and left is right, but... That's not necessarily the case. And that's why there are instruments that measure it for you. Exactly. Especially on takeoff when you're accelerating and you're climbing. You know, that we've talked about how the fluid in your ear settles backwards or like moves back. And, you know, it makes you think that maybe you're, you're more pitched up than you actually are. It's very dangerous. That's why you need to, to trust the instruments. So because they had hindered spatial awareness, they began trying to fight with the controls to level the plane back out. Then as they were doing this, the captain then activated the autopilot. Like, I think, you know, as he's fighting with the controls to level the plane out, he probably notices the autopilot's not on, then reaches over and pushes it to activate it. So he he asks the first officer to turn the autopilot on? Is that what he... Yes. Okay. And the, but the first officer didn't see it or didn't hear him and, or respond or do it? Correct. He did, didn't do it. It's, it's unknown whether he didn't hear him or just didn't do it, was distracted by something else. But mm. regardless, he did not acknowledge it. And we've talked about this before, where yeah. normally one pilot says something and the other pilot cross-checks it. Crew resource management thing of communication yes. and like, you do this. I heard, I received, yeah. Yeah, done. You know, absolutely. At this point, the captain does activate the autopilot, but he's still pulling on the controls and fighting them. And he overrides the autopilot, which leads to a further increase in the bank angle. Because, in, you know, they want a pilot to be able to override the autopilot. That should be what you want. So he tries to activate it, but it's still like pulling the controls too much. So the autopilot disengages thinking, oh, well, you know, the pilot's got it. I've got to, you know, deactivate here. But why was he banking? He, he, he made the banking worse. Like if he was trying to correct it, was he just, was he correcting the wrong direction? Yeah. So... They, they, the pilots were using opposite and conflicting control inputs to try to recover oh. the aircraft. Like they were, 
I'll get into the, like, we're going to break down the exact sequence here in a little bit. But yeah, uh-huh. they were ter- banking right, left, and just like going back and forth, not really being assertive or fully understanding what was going on. At most, the, the aircraft reached a height of 2,900 feet, then pitched nose down with 115 degree right bank. So more than wings up and down, you know, it's almost slightly inverted. And it crashed at about 287 knots, which is 532 kilometers an hour or 330 miles an hour. 48 degrees down pitch and 60 degree right bank just after takeoff at about 12.08 a.m. They, you know, entered a spiral dive and crashed into a swamp south-southeast of Douala and everyone on board was killed and the airplane was completely destroyed. That's sad. The weird thing about this is that it happened so quickly and in kind uh-huh. of a, you know, like I said, in a swamp, kind of a remote area that nobody realized the plane had crashed until after it didn't arrive at its destination. Oh my God. Yeah, so like, you know, the plane should have arrived and it didn't get there. And you know, that's when authorities are like, oh, where is that plane? Especially because it's happening overnight, you know, less people yeah. working, less like, less stuff going on. They didn't discover the wreckage until May 6th. They, you know, they took off just after midnight on May 5th. So the entire day of the 5th passed. And then on the next day, on the 6th, they finally uh, found oh the wreckage. goodness. So for a good 24 hours, it was a mystery as to where did that plane go? It becomes a pres- like they start presuming like, it probably crashed because we would have heard from it. Or we would have heard from someone by now. Yeah, it, it, would, it wouldn't have fuel. It had to have land, gone to the ground at some point. Right. That's, that's just wild to think about that that happened and no one knew about it for that long, especially since it was right off the airport. Right. That's, what I, that's exactly what I was going to say. They didn't get very far. Yeah. Like if, if someone had looked out the window, could they have seen it? From the airport? Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the wreckage itself was about 12 miles southeast of Douala. So maybe not. Two minutes seems like not that far, but when you're an airplane. You're going you fast. Yeah. Especially yeah. because the airport itself is on the southern end of mm. the city. So like I said, all this happened, you know, really quickly. The airport itself is on the southern end of the city. They were, they, and this happened to the southeast. So and it kind of happened outside of the city itself, you know, still relatively close to, to the airport and everything. And then you can see why I said there really wasn't a lot of time to like talk about what actually happened in the flight because yeah. it, everything happened so quickly. The moment from like, he said, oh, can you put on autopilot to the crash? When, how long was that? It was maybe a minute. A minute? Okay. If, yeah, if that. So of course, you know, they were able to find the flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder, the black boxes. And, you know, they, they, there are a few findings that, that went on here. So just after liftoff, like we said, this airplane had a tendency to roll to the right. There was no imbalance in the loading or fuel distribution or engine thrust. It was just the way this plane was built. It rolled to the right ever so slightly. And I think actually, now that I think about it, we may have had an episode in the past where we talked about something similar, where like autopilot would compensate for mm-hmm. a plane's yeah. tendency to to want to roll a little bit. Yeah, we've talked about the quirkiness of planes. When they were passing through 1,000 feet climbing, all action on the flight control ceases and the airplane goes into a continuous roll to the right. Presumably this is when they think, the captain thinks autopilot is enabled and lets go of the controls. Passing 34 degrees of bank angle, action on the flight controls recommences. The bank angle increases up to 115 degrees and then decreases to 60 degrees on impact. Having departed with a heading of 118 degrees after takeoff, from 1,000 feet, the airplane goes into a continuous turn to the right, ending with a heading of 90 degrees on impact. If they started at 118 and ended up at 90 on impact, they probably did almost a 360. Wow. Because they were kind of spiraling. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh man, I'm just imagining being, that's just a, ter- <laughs> a terrifying spiral. That spiral just sounds awful. Yeah, and I don't know. If you're in that, you know, it'll feel weird. You'll think maybe you're banking. I don't know. I, I, I guess actually if you hit 115 degrees of bank, you would know something's wrong. Like mm. the, the gravity would be pulling you. Anything past probably, yeah, 35 or so, you would definitely feel. Like most of the time when you're banking, like on a commercial plane, I don't think you typically bank more than, at most, like extreme would be like 20 degrees. Typical might be like 10. After the call, okay command made by the captain, the autopilot was not engaged. The flight crew was concerned by the meteorological situation. The captain sought to reassure the first officer. So they were, again, a little preoccupied with the weather and trying to get around. Yeah. The call for the reading of checklists, the heading selection, certain technical calls, the engaging of the autopilot, as well as the distribution of tasks on board, 
are not done in accordance with the standard operating procedure. These deviations are not the subject of any briefing. So they kind of weren't doing things the way they should have by the book, right? Kind of ignoring some checklists, the way that systems were engaged was not done properly. Like we talked about calling for it, the other person saying it and verifying it, like all this back and forth and cross-checking to make sure everything's okay. There's nothing worse than checking your bank account and seeing you've been charged for a subscription you forgot to cancel. Uh, Of course, it's when you try to cancel a subscription, the website makes you double, triple, even quadruple confirm that yes, you really do want to indeed cancel. The scary truth is over 80% of us have subscriptions that we forgot about. So you could be charged for things you aren't even using without realizing it. Thankfully, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money quickly finds subscriptions for you and for any you don't want to pay for anymore, you just hit cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It's that easy. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Even if you think you're on top of it all, you've probably forgotten something. I know I did. I tried it out and there was like a very niche video subscription service that I had used for a while that I forgot about that I was still getting billed for. Rocket Money identifies it and then makes it super simple to cancel. But you know, and that money adds up. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions. Manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. That's rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Rocketmoney.com slash blackboxdown. Hey, everyone. I want to take a moment to remind you RTX 2023 is happening. It's July 7th through 9th. It's coming up really soon. RTX is our favorite time of year. We get to interact with all of the amazing people that give us the opportunity to make content. It's a celebration of all things Rooster Teeth with panels, special guests, community artists, cosplay, and more. So be exclusive reveals, meets and greets with Rooster Teeth talent, special merch available only during the event. Rooster Teeth has shown some of it on their social media account with Travis the Bat and Willie the Armadillo. Super adorable. I'm, I'm really excited to get some of that stuff. And we're changing up how the convention feels this year. It's going to be awesome. Imagine a mini Epcot-style convention show floor with different attractions and activations from your favorite Rooster Teeth brands, all wrapped up in a summer camp theme. It's the summer camp for indoor kids with Face Jam's Rat and Grackle Pub, a Red Web Escape Room, a Face Museum, a Chima Hunter Mini Golf, and even more cool stuff that we're saving for attendees to experience. So thanks for listening to us. Get excited about RTX. We're looking forward to meeting all of you there. Head over to rtxaustin.com to get information about the event and to buy your badge. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and forget about your own needs. I know I've been guilty of sometimes putting other people before myself too much where I end up mentally exhausted and burned out. Luckily, therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy can also be a great tool for learning positive coping skills, learning how to set boundaries, and empowering you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option that's convenient, flexible, and also it's entirely online. You can choose sessions that are suited to your schedule, so you can fit it in whenever works best for you. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if that's something that you want to do. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blackboxdown today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash black box down 10% off your first month visit betterhelp.com slash black box down so you were asking like about how long all of this took right so i'm just gonna i'm gonna do like a, a real quick breakdown of how everything laid out and like the timeline for everything and how it happened at 11 20 p.m they initially request startup clearance from the tower and obtain it but then at 11 37 they canceled it in order to wait for the storm to pass a little bit at 11.54, they request and obtain a new authorization to start up. 11.57 and 49 seconds, they check their flight controls. And like they're beginning their you know, before takeoff checklist stuff. Mm-hmm. 10 seconds later, flap selection is five degrees down and they begin taxiing. At 11.58 and six seconds, the captain remarks the two engines are running normally. And at 11.58 and 42 seconds, the first officer calls for the before taxi checklist. And that takes them 21 seconds and the before taxi checklist is complete. At 11.59 and 8 seconds, the first officer requests authorization to taxi, and the tower tells him to hold position. During that period of waiting, the captain says, this thing is moving. The first officer responds, yes, and the captain adds, there is no way here. Presumably, they're looking at the radar, and they're, like, pointing out where it's moving, and, like, we can't go here, you know, so they're kind of, like, mapping out how they're going to get around it. At 11.59 and 23 seconds, Royal Air Maroc 287 requests latest meteorological report, please. This is one of the other planes that's also there. And they're requesting the weather. And the tower responds, visibility 800 meters, wind calm, 
rain and moderate thunderstorms, clouds scattered 300 feet, broken 1,000 feet, cumulonimbus 1,600 feet, all sectors, temporary visibility 1,500 meters, moderate rain and thunderstorms. It's pretty bad weather all around. Low clouds and you know cumulonimbus clouds, which can be scary, kind of violent, and thunderstorms yeah. and rain. And then that Royal Air Maroc, you know, radios again asking, according to meteorological service, the storm will go away after how much time? And the tower responds, well, actually, the tower calls the meteorological office and then responds, the visibility will improve slightly, but the thunderstorm will persist till morning. So basically saying, there's going to be storms all night. Mm -hmm. At 11.59.47 seconds, flight 507 is cleared to taxi and backtrack for runway 12. And the first officer announces 106 passengers, eight crew members, five hours and 45 minutes of endurance. So... That's how much fuel they have, just under six hours of fuel. And this was going to be a four-hour flight. Right at midnight and six seconds, they begin taxiing for the runway. The first officer switches his weather radar on his display. At 12.01 and 46 seconds, the first officer reads back the departure clearance, saying, cleared after departure, runway 12, cleared to Nairobi, flight level 370, Adebe, i.e. departure, Kenya 507. Adeba is just like their waypoint and the departure they're taking out from okay. the airport. It's just like a, an established way, like this is the route we're taking out. The tower asks that they call back when they're ready for takeoff. Then at 12.04, the first officer announces that before takeoff, checklist is complete. And uh, five seconds later, the head of the cabin crew tells the pilots that the cabin is ready for takeoff. That's the, the flight attendant saying, you know, everything's stored. All the flight attendants are sitting down. They're ready to go. Then 14 seconds later at 12.04 and 38 seconds, the captain requests a modification of the departure clearance. He, you know, radios the tower and, and says, tower from Kenya 507, after departure, we would like to maintain slightly left of runway due to weather ahead. And the first officer corrects him and says, right. And the captain confirms, sorry, slightly right. And the tower approves. This is their plan to go to the right around the weather. Everyone's cool with this plan. Like the, this plan was fine going around the weather. Like it wasn't anything they shouldn't be doing or. Yeah. Okay. No, totally fine. The weird thing here is that the captain initially says left and the first officer has to correct him and says, right. Like that's a pretty big mistake like in in my mind looking at that you think that maybe the captain doesn't have a full mental picture of what's going on like maybe it's just a slip up maybe it's just a slip of the tongue but like i would be i would be i would be really worried like are you sure you know what we're going you know we're going to go this way right at 1205 the pre-selected heading is 118 degrees the pre-selected initial climb speed is 150 knots they put auto throttle on they begin their takeoff run and the captain is the captain flying I got to pause here again after saying that, you know, I'm, I'm reading a pretty thorough recap yeah. of everything that happened a little earlier, just uh, a f what is it like four minutes earlier when the, the tower, you know, was going over their clearance departure or the departure clearance, the tower asked, Hey, call me back when you're ready to take off. Nowhere in here did I say that they actually called the tower back to tell them they were ready to take uh, off. Oh, oh, they just started they just going. Took off? Wait, yeah. That's a big boo-boo. That's a big note. That's a big no-no. Yeah, so right? Yeah, they, I mean... They, 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 they finished all their stuff. They're like, all right, we're going to take off. We're going to go to the right. And then they just started going. Luckily for them, it was stormy and nighttime, not much traffic. So it didn't create an issue. But when it's busy, you can't do that. You, you need to wait for your takeoff clearance. Yeah. Uh, so you can see there's already there's already problems. Things are already not quite right here. So, so the tower at no point was like, wait, where did they go? Well, I guess they took off. Because they also didn't know where, where the plane landed. Like, they didn't see it crash, so they're, they went a whole day like, well, I don't technically don't even remember it leaving. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they did see it taking off, and it's like one of those things like, oh, it's fine, whatever. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't in the report. It wasn't in the breakdown, but it's definitely something that should not happen. Like, if that happened here, like, let's say, you know, I have a pilot license. Let's say I was at Austin, and I was flying a plane, and I just took off. Oh, they would be yelling at me. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, you would get yelled at. You get they, they tell you to copy down a phone number so they can yell at you more when you're on the ground. <laughs> That's not right. And, and of course, there are untowered airports where you can do that. But when there is a tower, you need to get permission from them to take off. Yeah. Or I should say clearance. Seems, yeah. So uh, shortly after that, at 12.05 and 52 seconds, you know, the V1 automatic enunciator sounds. The f first officer confirms V1. Then three seconds later, the first officer calls rotate and the captain initiates rotation. So they begin taking off and they take off right exactly at 12.06. And then nine seconds later, the landing gear is retracted. So as soon as they're airborne, this plane, like we said, has a tendency to roll to the right. And the pilot 
reacts by giving input a 30 degrees of left roll in the control wheel and then turns the wheel back to the neutral position and continues to like modulate left control wheel to maintain wings level. So as soon as they take off, he kind of really turns it to the left, their level, and then he just like puts it back to neutral and then just like every now and then is kind of jimmying it to the left just to keep things wings level. The bank angle of the airplane stays within the limit of three degrees right and the captain continues to make inputs to the flight controls to the left between 500 and 1,000 feet. The tendency of the airplane to roll to the right is controlled, and the bank angle remains at less than one degree. And during the same period, several inputs on the pitch trim for nose-up attitude are also apparent. So that's not unusual. You know, he's just kind of giving it a little bit of left to, to keep things level. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12.06 and 24 seconds, at about 1,000 feet in climbing, all action on the flight control ceases till... 12.07 and 19 seconds. So what is this? This is 24 seconds after takeoff. They're at 1,000 feet. That's when the captain lets go of the controls because presumably the autopilot, he thinks the autopilot is on and then doesn't touch the controls again till 12.07 and 19 seconds. So 55 seconds go by without him touching the controls. And first officer also didn't, he wasn't touching it. Correct. That is, that's scary. Yeah, and we're, and we're going to give the breakdown. Well, I'm going to give the breakdown here right now. That kind of, it'll also kind of maybe paint a picture as to why nobody touched the controls and, every, and they thought everything was okay. Two seconds after the captain lets go, 12.06 and 26 seconds, the captain calls for heading select and the first officer responds, select checked. And the flight data recorder shows they were at 1,140 feet. Their heading is 118. Their pitch is 15 degrees up and their speed's 164 knots. And the bank angle is less than one degree and the flaps are still down at five degrees. So two seconds after the captain lets go, all of that sounds good. All of that's fine. Then a second after that, at 12.06 and 27 seconds, the heading select knob is moved from 118 to 132. And this is the same time the roll to the right commences. So when the heading is switched from 118 to 132, they think we need to go 14 degrees to the right. The plane's on its own is banking to the right. And they think, yeah, that's fine. We're, we're supposed to go to the right. You see? <laughs> so it feels like, yeah. It feels like that's what it's supposed to be doing right now. And the, the captain did that? The heading select knob, I believe, was moved by the uh, first officer. Oh, well, the, okay. Well, who? but he was... Um, yeah, he's the one who didn't turn the autopilot on? Yeah. It could be one of the things where he didn't pay attention. Maybe he thought the captain put it on. Mm. And also, I don't know for a fact it was the first officer who did it. There's no way to know that. I presume it was, though, because the captain calls out, heading select and you know the first hour response select checked so i it sounds to me like it's the first officer who would be doing this at 1206 and 33 seconds so another six seconds after that the heading select knob is moved from 132 to 139 so again even more to the right Mm. so at this point they're at 1300 feet the heading is continued continuing to increase to the right they're pitched up 10 degrees and their bank angle is six degrees to the right at 1206 and 40 seconds so seven seconds after that Climb power is selected, so they reduce their power a little bit, and they're at 1,600 feet, heading of 127, and their bank angle is 11 degrees. So now they're starting to bank a little more, a little more. It is, is banking something that, um, in a situation like this, that it, that, that it, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, like, it, the more you bank, the more it's exponential in that it starts banking further and harder? Yeah, there is a point where that happens. At this point, what would I say they were there 11 degrees? It's not there yet. There is a point, you know, you, if you're in a shallow bank, you have to maintain inputs to, to continue that bank, right? To hold mm-hmm. it. You will eventually reach a point where the bank will sustain itself and you can go hands off and you'll just continue on that bank without touching anything. And then eventually you'll reach a point if you keep going where that bank will continue unless you're actively going mm. against it and pulling it back and fighting it. So there is a tipping point at which like you need yeah. to be banking opposite to try to even maintain mm-hmm. that much less overcome it and get back to level does that make sense yeah that's exactly what i was asking yeah okay yeah but at, they're at 11 degrees it, it's not at a point where it's it's holding itself at least as far as i know i've yeah. never flown a 737 so i can't say but on smaller planes you are not at that point yet so i imagine with the bigger plane uh, it would be some they would be the same at this point at 1206 and 55 seconds the heading select mall the heading select knob is moved to the left <laughs> from 139 to 120. So this is this is one point where they they turn it to the left. And you would think that at this point, they would expect the bank to go to the left now. But it's continuing to roll to the right. And at this point, they're at 20 degree bank angle. 
At 12.07 and five seconds, the captain says, now we're getting into it. The first officer responds, okay. I presume that they're entering weather. It's getting a little turbulent okay. at this point. And again, this is, this is probably what's distracting them. They're looking out at the weather. They're not at, no one's actually probably looking at the instruments. At 12.07 and nine seconds, the first officer calls out, I continue with heading, and the heading select knob is moved to the right again from 120 to 165. This was probably that period we just went through. That 14-second period was probably the most critical period where they could have caught it. When they turned the mm-hmm. heading select knob to the left and the bank continued to the right, someone should have noticed that. But now at this point now, they're turning it to the right more, so they would expect a bank to the right. And they're at 24-degree bank to the right at this point. And maybe you might think, well, why, why don't they feel it? And again, you know, if there's no outside frame of reference, they might not realize that they're at a 24-degree bank to the right. Unless they look down at their instruments or look at their controls, they wouldn't know that. That's why I think they're both distracted looking out the window at the weather at this point. And, and, and because of the weather, is it more turbulent than normal? Yeah, definitely. I, 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 well, I should say, I don't know about this specific flight, but yes, that's what you would expect here, especially with cumulonimbus clouds. You would expect quite a bit of turbulence around that with those kinds of storms. And it's, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. If you're around, like, cumulonimbus clouds have a lot of updrafts, so it's going to really, you know, want to push the plane up. And, you know, if it hits the plane unevenly, it'll cause it to shake a bit. So there is probably quite a bit of turbulence around here. Okay. And then finally, at 12.07 and 18 seconds, the captain, you know, shouts out in alarm, like in shock. This is when he finally realizes something's wrong. Oh, this is after the alarm, though, went off, right? This is right around, the, this is almost exactly at the same time. He like exclaims, their bank is 34 degrees to the right, and their heading is 215 degrees. And this is when the oral warning sounds go off. It's, you know, it's saying bank angle, bank angle. And this, this is automatic. When the plane reaches 35 degrees, it's just to let you know, hey, this is a pretty extreme bank you're doing now. And this, is, this next part, this is what you were asking about earlier. I didn't want to say it just yet. So the control wheel is immediately turned 22 degrees to the right, which is the wrong direction, then 20 degrees to the left, then again, 45 degrees to the right, and then finally 11 degrees to the left. And because they're already banking kind of severely to the right, the bank just keeps going to the right. Oh, no. He's probably looking outside and doesn't know what it is, and he's just going left and right, back and forth, blindly trying to figure it out. Wait, so this is one input. This is not both of them fighting. Correct. This is presumably this is the captain. Oh my goodness. So he's what is he just like, oh wrong banking angle. He's guessing which angle. Yeah, I think he tries one direction, then goes the other one. He's just like panicking and not being you know, one, not looking to figure out which direction's the correct one, and then two, just erratically giving inputs, hoping that one of them will fix it. Oh no. Four seconds later, at two thousand seven hundred and seventy feet, without any call, the autopilot is engaged. And action on the flight control decreases. And there is some action on the right rudder pedal. At this point, it's reached 50 degrees and begins stabilizing. Because, you know, presumably at this point, the captain realizes the autopilot's not on, you know, reaches out, pushes it. And the bank angle, which is at 50 degrees, starts to stabilize a little bit. However, five seconds later, intense action on the flight control resumes. First, roll movement to the right, then to the left, and then to the right again. Several bursts of rudder input are made to the right. And the captain shouts out, we are crashing. Oh. At this point now, they're at 55 degree bank angle and it's just like, it's accelerating now. They've reached that, they've, they're beyond that point where it's just going to continue. He did, basically right there, he didn't give the autopilot enough time to fix the problem. If he had hit autopilot and then st- stepped away, would it have fixed it? Yes. This was savable by the autopilot until the final couple of seconds. You just have to you know, it's not, the autopilot's not going to immediately snap it back to wings level. Yeah. You know, it was stabilizing it and it was working at bringing it back to level. But I think, again, there was just panic. And, you know, the, they began manipulating the controls again. It's just, it's, it's just frustrating. I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but, you know, it's like, oh, man, dude, if you just, like, stepped away. Yeah, just let go. But, like, let the autopilot do its with thing. the autopilot on to be. <laughs> right. But, uh, I mean, of course, you know, he's, He's panicked, you know, he thinks he's crashing. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he thinks the autopilot was on and the autopilot's what got them in this situation. Oh. So maybe he hits it and then thinks, well, wait a minute. That's, what, that's why we're here. The autopilot did this. Maybe it's broken. I didn't even think about that. We have the luxury of knowing the autopilot was not on. He didn't know that necessarily. So he may think, well, if I don't 
touch it, is the autopilot going to continue crashing us? Mm. And what's the first officer doing? Is he inputting controls? Well, at, at this point, after the, the, the captain says, we are crashing, the first officer says, right, yeah, we are crashing, right. Maybe it's your, the, the tone in which you read that, but it sounded super casual. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure it wasn't. I've, I've not heard the recording. I, I just have the text here. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very passive tone to be taking, especially if you're a pilot. That's kind of giving up, saying we are crashing instead of saying, instead of identifying what's going on, what's the, you know, analyzing the situation you're in and then developing a plan to attack it. Granted, I mean, it's easier said than done, but like him yelling, we're crashing, him going, yep. We sure are. It's not helpful. <laughs> right. And But you, you say, you know, it's easier said than done. But that's the reason that you go through all this training to become yeah. an airline pilot. <laughs> you, you, you should, this should be ingrained in you. You know, it's not just like a, yeah. oh, well, can't do anything. You know, <laughs> throw your hands up. It's a, okay, let's look at the situation. What's going on? Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Yeah. So at this point now, this is the highest I believe that they get. They're at 2,900 feet. And now they begin rapidly descending. And they're at 80 degree bank to the right. So almost wings up and down. And at this point now at 12.07 and 33 seconds, you can hear the first officer calling out, right, captain, left, 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 correction, left. I guess he's looking at what, oh. at what the, the captain's doing and telling him what to do with the controls instead of actively grabbing the controls and doing something himself, you know? Should he, at that point, just grab the controls? I mean, if the alternative is to crash, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like you need to have a certain level of assertiveness and, yeah. you know, wanting to to attack the problem. You know, I think his in his situation, he was trying to do so by talking to the captain when, you mm-hmm. know, maybe grabbing the controls and helping to guide him would have would have been helpful. So the bank angle ultimately at 1207 and 35 seconds reaches 115 degrees then decreases towards 70 degrees following full left roll input on the control wheel. So they're rolling it all, you know, they're giving it all the way to the left and it goes from 115 degrees to 70. And at this point now their heading is 360. They're almost done a full circle. And other bursts of left roll inputs on the control wheel and some pressure on the right rudder pedal are perceptible. At uh, 12.07 and 42 seconds, the plane crashes at a speed of 287 knots, a pitch angle of minus 48 degrees. The heading is 090 and 60 degree of right bank angle. So that means the plane was in the air a total of one minute, 42 seconds. All of that we, ju- we just went through, that was a minute, 42. When they reached their, the highest point and they were at like 90 degree angle, what time was that? They reached 2,900 feet at 12.07 and 31 seconds. So 11 seconds before they crashed. So they, they went all of that to the highest point was the, the minute and, 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 and what, like 50 seconds or whatever Probably, it was? A, min, a minute and 30 seconds, minute, minute 31 minute 30, to and get then, to yeah, their highest then, point. And then 11 seconds, they just went straight down. Went back down. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I said there really isn't, there wasn't a lot to dig into about what was going on on the flight. Like this happened immediately. So like we said, during the first 18 seconds of this flight, you know, the crew's attention may have been focused on the weather radar to avoid the thunderstorm. You know, they're looking, if they are looking down at their instruments, presumably they're looking at the radar and not their attitude indicator, you know, heading indicator, none of the other navigation instruments. They're probably just focused on weather radar. The autopilot was not engaged and the airplane was not being manually piloted. And, you know, there was an absence of corrective action through flight controls. The airplane rolled to the right, heading increased by itself, more so in a direction that corresponds to the desired deviation from the route by crew. So again, it was kind of self-fulfilling. They were expecting to go to the right. The plane was banking to the right. So it might've been like, okay, this seems to be fine. The captain called OK command to engage the autopilot and then behaves as though the autopilot is effectively engaged, something which is neither confirmed by the announcement by the first officer, nor by the computer, nor by the behavior of the airplane itself. On the other hand, the automatic activation of the speed trim following excessive increase of speed could contribute to sustain his false impression of autopilot being engaged. So, you know, there were other automated systems that may have been working that aren't autopilot, then they may have been kicking in uh, that may have maybe made him thought the autopilot was doing something. There is no evidence why the autopilot didn't engage, but the flight data recorder indicates a slight control column pressure as OK command call is made by the captain. There's a possibility the selection was made, but the pressure on the column interfered with the engagement of the autopilot. What they're saying here is that it's possible maybe the first officer did hit the autopilot button, but maybe the captain was, you know, 
giving control column pressure oh. at the same time and it overrode it at the same moment. Maybe, mm. you know, kind of like it's, it's, it's unknown. That doesn't seem likely, but it doesn't seem likely, but you know how these reports are. They have to deal yeah. in absolutes. So they have to like go through every possibility here. It's also possible. I'm sure you've had this before where, you know, working with a computer or your car or something, you push a button and it doesn't work and you have to push it again. You know, maybe that happened. <laughs> that's, that's definitely happened to me before where you push it. Like maybe I didn't push it hard enough. You got to hit it again. Who knows? The behavior of the flight crew during these 55 seconds demonstrates a lack of rigor in piloting, non-respect of the repartition of tasks on board, confusion in the use of aircraft systems, and poor situation awareness. So that's, that's, the, that's the tough one, right? It's just like it's poor execution of the things that they need to do, poor situational awareness of what's going on around them. And this is, this is the thing that you, I think you had asked about before. Simulations of the event prove that if the captain gave the autopilot time to take control, the 737 would have recovered, but his erratic inputs prevented that from happening. I think they said that this the autopilot could have saved it until they were practically on the ground. Like it, it, Just in the final few seconds, it became too late. But for the most part, the autopilot could have recovered this. When the bank angle warning went off, there was no discussion about what was happening until the pilot called out, we are crashing. And the first officer said, yeah, we are crashing. Which is, again, also very frustrating. There was no... I know. No attempt at analysis or even like assessment of the situation or even this is happening. This is what's happening. Yeah. God, it is really just so passive, I think is the word you used. Right. Very passive. I think that's the word that was used repeatedly in the report. And the re you know, you may ask like, why was the first officer so passive? Why was the first officer not more engaged in dealing with the situation? Well, Listening to earlier recordings, I don't know if you remember, I very much in, in passing at the top of the episode, I said that this was a stopover for them. This flight actually started in Ivory Coast, stopped over in Cameroon, and then crashed on its way to Nairobi, Kenya. On the first leg from Ivory Coast to Cameroon, the cockpit voice recorder showed the captain was berating the first officer. Oh. Calling him stupid and telling him to shut up. Whoa. Yeah, and investigators think this led to the first officer kind of like shrinking away and, you know, made him hesitant to speak up and, you know, made him more passive and thus made the crew less effective. And we've talked about this when it comes to like crew resource management. You need both pilots to be like almost unequal. Well, yeah, unequal footing where even the junior pilot can chime in when he thinks or when they think they see something wrong and, you know, try to pull it to the attention of the captain. So, you know, this treatment of the first officer led investigators to dig a little more into the captain's professional history. Ooh. And they discovered he had a lot of shortcomings in his history about being overbearing and authoritarian to other crew members, which is not what you want. Kind of like a, a tyrant captain who, you know, yells at people and makes them unwilling to contribute. Yeah. Discourages like critical thinking. Or, right. Or, or any or, discussion. Or at least critical discussion. Uh, yeah. Right. Because like if, you know, let's say you're working on a project with someone and they keep yelling at you and calling you stupid and telling you to shut up, then you're going to shut down, right? You're not going to... Yeah, you're not going to be contributing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. This was a huge problem in the industry before the advent of like crew resource management and, you know, where the captain was like the, the final word, the end all be all authority on things. And uh, CRM really helped get rid of that problem. But obviously you see here, it can still rear its head. The captain had actually, in the past, he had been sanctioned and underwent line retraining and proficiency check three years earlier. And it had been ordered because the captain's decision to initiate a diversion due to a standby instrument failure during a scheduled passenger flight. And management had, had considered that the diversion demonstrated a lack of understanding following failure of airplane systems and redundancies that are designed into the system. So I guess... Three years earlier, the captain had diverted due to a standby instrument failure. And like management realizes like maybe he doesn't fully understand these systems if he called it diversion because of that. Like it really wasn't that big of a deal because there's other redundancies. Like he doesn't understand everything that's going on. So they had to like retest him and recheck him. Since successfully checking out his captain on a Boeing 737, Kenya Airways instructors and examiners have written several reports about him, making mention of several recurrent shortcomings, notably concerning crew resource management knowledge of systems, respect of standard operating procedure, cockpit scan and situation awareness, planning and decision-making. All of these things are what we keep talking about and this, that all contributed into this accident. He had had write-ups about all of these things in his wow. file. According to management, the overall performance of the captain is judged to be below the standard average, but acceptable. This was 
This is like previously? Yeah, this is in his file. Oh my goodness. The airline had a grading system that had four levels. Not acceptable, acceptable, standard, and above standard. He was at acceptable, like the, the, the third lowest out of four. The only bad one was, is not acceptable, the fourth one, the next <laughs> lowest one. It's like skating by with like Ds, right? Yeah. The young, reserved, inexperienced first officer with an overbearing authoritarian captain created a lethal combination. The poor pilot performance and spatial disorientation contributed to the crash. Distraction reduced outside visibility and confusion. But one major mistake triggered the entire tragedy. It was the crew's failure to ensure the autopilot was engaged that ultimately led to the death of 114 people. So it's like you had this really mean captain who was yelling at the first officer who wasn't even a good pilot. Gus, the, the one that used to be a flight attendant and then got his pilot, was he the, the, the first officer? No, he was the captain. He was the captain. He's the mean one. Yeah. Gus. So that, that's why you said, hopefully it, it, it turns out okay. Uh, I was like, hate to break hate to break it to you, Chris. Man, that stinks. You like that story of someone like, I don't know, you know, like bettering themselves and training to, you know, to learn new things and, and moving up, but not if they become a jerk. Right. You, you think like, I don't know, I can't, I can't speculate about it, but it's like you would think that, you know, they would have an appreciation having worked through yeah. different positions and then moving up, you know, to piloting the plane. Who knows? I mean, I don't, I don't get it, but every person's different. One interesting note about this, actually, I didn't mention until now. I found this was a very interesting accident because, you know, like we said, the, the flight originated in Ivory Coast, stopped over in Cameroon and was bound for Kenya. And the accident happened in Cameroon. Cameroon did not have a, like a, a government body to do air crash investigations. Oh. So they had to rely on other government boards from other countries to come in and, and take part in the investigation. And of course, since it was a Boeing manufactured plane, the NTSB assisted and really took a lot of lead on this particular investigation. It, it's weird because normally we talk about like all the jurisdictions and all the different countries yeah. involved. And, and they fight you know, each the, other for a lot of right. things. <laughs> and normally it's, you know, the country where the accident happened is usually in charge of the investigation. But in this case, Cameroon didn't have an agency for it. So the NTSB stepped in and really ran a lot of it. So, you know, they had safety recommendations as a result of this. And the investigation brought to light the need for rigor in the putting into practice of the accident prevention system for an air carrier and the continuous oversight that the Civil Aviation Administration exercises over aviation operators who are often better equipped thanks to international commercial partnerships. The Commission of Inquiry recommends that. And this is from like the Cameroonian government. Like, I, I, I feel like I should clarify that. So the NTSB handled the investigation, but obviously the Cameroonian government has final say because it's, you know, in on their... In, within their borders. Yeah. The Commission of Inquiry recommended that all state administrations that issue licenses for aviation operators should ensure that they harness the ne necessary structures and means to approve and follow up amendments and revisions of manuals, and that they ensure that companies that put in place organizations that enhance the application of manuals and decision-making in matters of safety, especially as concerns technical flight crews. So this is really getting into the process for disseminating information like when they're talking about manuals, the way the systems work. And I think this has to do with the captain not fully understanding the systems. And they also strongly recommend that all flight crew receive formalized upset recovery training. And that's just training so that when your plane is in you know, what they call upset, you know, mm -hmm. out of a normal operating envelope, that pilots know how to recover from that, whether it's banking too much or being in some weird, unusual attitude to be able to, you know, write that and bring the plane back to an attitude it should be in. Panic training. <laughs> like, so that when the plane is in already in a bad position, you don't, like, panic and go wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Right. So that you know you can, you can if you do wiggle, you wiggle it in the correct, in the correct way, in the correct direction. <laughs> yeah. You said it in such a professional way, and I dumbed it down so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's scary, you know. As I've done training for an instrument rating, you know, I've, I've, I sometimes fly in cloudy conditions, right, where, or like with low visibility. It's scary when, you know, you're on a runway and you take off and you're immediately in clouds. And it's like, okay, I need to very quickly climb, make a climbing right turn. It's like, but you want to make sure that, you're not banking too much. You want to make sure you're not climbing too steeply so you don't stall. And there's no way to see anything, right? It's like in that in this case, like everything's grayed out. Everything looks the same. It's like you have to rely on looking at your instruments and trusting them and being like, this is all fine. Like this is all 
what I need to be doing right now and taking small corrective actions to make sure things don't come out of control. Because when you're climbing, you're, you know, you're kind of slow coming off the ground, you might be banking and you're in what would be considered maybe an unusual attitude, you know, and you want to make sure that you don't upset the aircraft and that you do things within the normal envelope. Yeah. But all that to say, this was just because autopilot wasn't activated. Yeah. It, it also makes me wonder, like, I can understand wanting to use the autopilot, you know, if it's kind of stormy, but maybe it should have hand flown it a little longer, you know, activating to, it that low. I, I don't, yeah. 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 I don't know what standard operating procedure for the airline or for, you know, flying a commercial plane like that is, but I would think you would want to hand fly it a little more until you get, you know, you finish this deviation around the weather and you have some more altitude and then be like, okay, then you can relax a little more and let the autopilot kick on. But again, I don't know if they were distracted looking at weather radar or worried about it. I'm not there. I'm not a commercial airline pilot, so I can't speak to that. But yeah, that's it. Kenya Airways 507, a flight where just like a, a simple button push could have saved mm-hmm. it. Speaking, all this talk about bad attitudes, Gus, made me think about our, uh, our bad attitude shirt and coffee mug. I was wearing that shirt yesterday. I love yeah. that shirt. Uh, your bad attitude has upset me. Yeah, which if you... It, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> if you want to check it out, you go to store.rushseat.com or check our link tree. We get a bunch of black box down merch. That that one's one of my favorites. I, I wore that shirt when I took my pilot test or my test my <laughs> pilot license. I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> great, great shirt. Yeah, that's it for this episode of Black Box Down. Again, don't forget to give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod. Don't forget, uh, we got RTX coming up in a few weeks. You can get more information at rtxaustin.com. And as we mentioned before, we are wrapping up Black Box Down. Our final episode will be out, I believe, June 28th, just before RTX. So we'll be doing you know, a panel there, like I said, looking back over the last three years of plane crashes that we've covered. But Chris and I both have other projects that we currently work on, like Tales from the Stinky Dragon, our Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're both also working on new upcoming podcasts that haven't quite been announced yet. I've got a, a new one I'm working on that's uh, kind of a an overview of... It, it sounds boring, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an angle to it that I, I really dig. There, it's it's kind of an overview of the Cold War and a history, a breakdown of the history of the Cold War with a very interesting twist that I'll be talking about more here real soon. But yeah, that's it for this episode, and we'll be back next week with another one. Bye bye. <laughs>